The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. Hello and welcome to this edition of Stockhead's Rock Yarn. I'm your host, Peter Strachan. Today we're studying Sweden's minerals resources industry and to walk us through the opportunities and challenges that come with operating in that nation, we are pleased to welcome Peter George, who is the recently elevated Managing Director of ASX-listed company Alicanto Minerals. Welcome, Peter. Great. Thanks very much, Peter. Glad to be here. Can we start by asking you to tell us how you came to be working in Sweden? Yeah, that's a a long story, that one. Uh, I'll try to keep it short, but uh, basically I was in the pub in uh, the School of Mines in Kalgoorlie with my father and we ended up having a conversation with, I think it was Professor Spotterswood, who was the director of the School of Mines at the time, and so they were looking for students to go to Sweden on an exchange program. And um, Dad and I had had a couple of beers and we looked at each other and said, what do you think? It sounds like a good idea. And then off I went. Okay, well, there you are. <laughs> uh, now, when we think about mining deep into the dark Swedish mountains, it's mm. easy to call up images of the mountain folk from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> so but, what are the the nation's mining towns really like? Oh, look, I mean, I'm, I'm a cowgirly born and bred boy, so I'm used to operating in mining towns around the world, and I don't think Sweden's really that different. You know, you, you get probably people a little bit quieter, um, but, you know, these are passionate people that enjoy living out in the bush and, you know, enjoy their outdoor sports. You know, there's a lot of uh, snowmobiling and snow and snowboarding and skiing and skating and, you know, just lots of outdoor stuff. Yeah, I think the uh, the um, bl- the plains float folk from the uh, goldfields in Kalgoorlie are probably a bit more scarier than the, the Lord of the Rings folk with their, their uh, axes and swords. Oh, it could be. (laughs) So Sweden has an exceptionally long history of mining for gold and base metals. Uh Historically, what has formed the backbone of Sweden's mining industry and where are the exploration and production focuses uh, now in that country? Yeah, well, like you say, Sweden's history of mining goes back over a thousand years. Um, And you've got the really large iron ore mines right up in the north, the high-grade Mine mines up there in Karuna and uh, and Lombardiet. Um and then in the middle part of the the upper part of the of the, of the middle part of Sweden, you've got the Sheleftio field where you've got some quite large VMS and, and gold deposits up there. And then, or in the middle or southern part around the Stockholm region, you've got the Bergslagen district. And these are the three major producing areas. Um, you know, and all three of them, the history goes back you know, a thousand years. You know, you've got, the, for example, the Farland mine, which which is uh, right next door to to our tenement package. You know, they, which was closed in 1992, that was effectively um, was known as the Bank of Sweden. You know, the, the whole of the, the, the Swedish economy was based upon the, the you know the, the copper resources that were in the ground and then being mined at Farland, and then quite similar to the the Sala mine, which was the, the big silver a very high-grade deposit that they had down there about 150 kilometres away. 
Yeah, so uh, just to put that into perspective, the listener would be interested to know that Falun was 24 million tonnes, I think, at 4% copper, uh, 4 grams a tonne of gold, and about 7% combined lead and zinc with a bit of silver thrown in. So that is a very, very rich ore body. Yeah, uh, look, and, and we're, we're obviously I mean, talking about our project a little bit. That's, that's exactly what we're looking for, repeats of the Falun. And the targets that we're looking at, uh, you know, we're, we're very positive that we're on the right track to, to finding another one. And so uh, Sweden has developed uh, not just mining skills, but also the downstream smelting uh, capabilities as well, and those still are operating there. Um, the, the majority of the, the smelting capability is is up there in the north, um, where in the Lulio and the, and the Shaleftio part of the world. Um, I'm not sure of what tonnages they've got, but yeah, huge, huge tonnages that, that get run and processed through that part of the world. So uh, let's look uh, at the sort of downstream area a bit more. Can you tell us about the mining and services industries that have grown in Sweden, many of which have uh, expanded to become global uh, multinational names? Yeah, well, of course, you've got probably the two biggest ones, um, being Atlas Copco and uh, and Sandvik, that are based out of that part of the world. Um, it's actually quite fortunate as a as a young mining engineer to to get uh, sponsored by Atlas Copco to go and have a tour of some of the mines and and their factories over there, and you know where they've come from to where they are today is is just amazing. The technology that these guys provide, I think the, the Australian mining industry benefits from hugely. And, and then obviously you've got all of the uh, the smelting and the and the processing technology that's come out of the likes of Otakumpu and and those sorts of companies as well. And Boliden, and of course there's Alpha Lavelle that makes uh, um, screens and filters and so forth as well. So it's interesting to think mm. of a country the size of Sweden, eight million, nine million people. Uh, they have uh, really world-leading uh, mining services, mining equipment, mining technology companies, and I think uh, really uh, Australia also. It's it's not as well known, but Australia's um, some of the uh, computer uh, s- uh, services and the geological modelling and so forth technologies that we have, and the companies are world-leading as well. Mm, no, most definitely, and that and that's quite interesting comment actually because I don't even remember when I was over there working in Sweden that the software side of things is it wasn't nearly as advanced as what we were already operating with in in Australia. But I think there's been some cross pollination going back in that direction as well, and you know, over the last ten years, so it's good to see. Yeah, sometimes there's a bit of a cultural cringe in Australia, and we think everyone else is better, but in fact, we do lead the world in those areas. So. Sweden has been particularly severely impacted by the current coronavirus pandemic. Can you tell us how the local economy is progressing and how this impacts Alicanto's ability to work in the country? Mm. Well, I'll answer the second part of that first. So we're we're not being impacted at all except that I can't get over there. But, um, you know, we have Eric being my chief geologist over there in Sweden. He's he's going, uh, started a recent drilling program now, so we, we're not having any issues over there with regards to getting hold of uh, equipment and people, and, and that's because the Swedes, you know, they, yes, they have been impacted by it, but they haven't closed down their economy. Um, obviously, they've you know, been affected by the, the downturn in the world economy, but I think their local economy is is still quite strong, uh, and in many ways, not not too dissimilar to, to how things are in Western Australia here, even though obviously at the opposite end of the scale, where we don't have any COVID at this point in time. Yeah. 
So to what extent are Swedish exploration activities uh, weather dependent? I mean, here in Australia, you know, you've got the wet season up north, but pretty much you can work all around. It doesn't matter whether you want to, if you want to work in 45 degree heat, you can. Uh, but, you know, what happens in Sweden? Yeah, well, it's just at the opposite end of the temperature scale. So, you know, the gear is built for operating in, I guess, minus 40 degrees up to, you know, 30, 40 degrees uh, positive. Um, so, look, it's not really that big a deal. I think there's um, the, the equipment operates all year round. You know, when you have the big uh, Aitik uh, copper mine in the north of Sweden, not far from uh, Mumbariet and, and Kienana. You know, and these guys, are, it's a big open pit. So all the gear is, you know, it's, it's just set up for operating in those type of temperatures and they operate 365 days a year. I think that there's more of an issue around the uh, the moose hunting season you know, when you don't particularly want to be an explorer or a geologist walking around in the bush with uh, <laughs> a few thousand mad Swedes running around with big guns. So we tend to, <laughs> we tend to pull everybody out at that stage, but that's only for about a week. Yeah, oh yeah, you can uh, you can weatherize your drilling equipment, but it's hard to make them bulletproof, I guess. Yeah, that's right. Can you look? Can you outline the company's exploration plans around the historic Falun Gold and Copper Mine? Yeah, I can. So we've started a four thousand meter program um, about two weeks ago, which we announced at the RIU conference. Um, yeah, about two weeks ago. Um, and I were both attending, yes. That's right. Yeah, that was a good, good couple of days. It was, it was actually nice to get out after being locked away for six months. But, um, yeah, so that's uh, so we've got one rig up there operating at the moment. Um, that'll be somewhere between 25 and 35 holes. So they're all quite short holes. So we're testing, which is at, at this stage we have about 15 targets in front of us and within each of those targets, each one of those has at least three or four um, conductor plates or um, uh, we've seen uh, copper gold scan, approximate copper gold scan at surface. So we've got a huge amount of work in front of us uh, and I'm fully expecting that program is likely to expand as we, as we go. So are there any access issues around topography and local landholders? Um, look, we're dealing with tier one mining jurisdictions here, uh, same as what we do in Australia. So yeah. um, you just have to expect that there are going to be, there is um, red tape that you have to get through. But as long as you understand what that red tape is, it's really not that much of a problem. So, and I've operated in both Australia and, and in Sweden, I've even operated in, in other parts of the world where there is no red tape. So I don't see it as a major issue. Yes, sometimes it can cause delays, um, but as I mentioned to you, we've got so many targets. You know, if we do happen to come across a particular issue in one target, we just move over to the next one while that bit of paperwork's being sorted out and off we go. So I think from from my perspective, uh, on the, all the applications that we've put in, uh, we've had about three-quarters of them have come back successfully now and we're still waiting on a couple more. None of them have been rejected at this stage. And the topography, do you have to bulldoze roads in or is it, you know, f fairly good access for the equipment? Um, look, no, we prefer, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a greenie at heart, so I prefer not to knock over trees if I can avoid it. Um, but, look, this is a heavily forested areas. Uh, luckily enough, in the majority of the areas that we are, we are drilling in um, old forested areas. So they have been... Um, the, creek, the trees have been cut down and have been grown and have grown back again. So there are logging roads 
giving us a fair amount of access into the areas that we want to get to. And we're not, um, you know, we just tend to pick our way through the trees. And if we do have to knock any any vegetation over, then, you know, we, we have to pay for that vegetation through to the landowners themselves. That's, that's part yep. of the rules. Okay. So I was interested to read, Peter, that the geology and mineralisation genesis at Falloon has recently been reinterpreted after, you know, mm. hundreds of years of of mining and, and exploration in the air. Why did the Swedes take so long to make that switch from volcanogenic massive sulphide to a scarn type morphology? Yeah, look, it's it's a really interesting um, story that, and, and I talked to Eric about it quite a bit, and he's actually quite embarrassed for his profession um, that <laughs> you know this has been been here for a thousand years and it's just been sitting under everybody's noses, but. You know, there's a, there's a few things that people need to keep in mind. In that. So 1992 is a very important year, which is the same year that the Falun mine itself was actually closed. And But at that time, you also prior to 92, you needed to be either a Swede or a Swedish company to own tenements within the country. And then since, the, and then or also in 1992, you were uh, prior to that, you were not legally obliged to provide any of your exploration data through to the government for safekeeping or for future generations. So you can just imagine that, that you've got the Farland mine, it's all closed down. The, 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 Farland com- the company that owned Farland, called Storta Copper Guban, they actually changed into a timber company. Um, and you know, basically all that information has just been lost or gone into geologists' private stashes, of which Eric has got some himself. Um, and then on top of that, you know, there's a certain amount of laziness as well. You know, you've had the big boys in there like Bullied and, and uh, Lundin, uh, you know, having a look around. They've had some beautiful big ore bodies in there, such as in Garpen Valley and, and at St. Groven. So they've been a little bit spoilt with regards to what they've had in front of them. You know, these are great big ore bodies that have been poking out of the ground and they've been mining these things for the best part of a thousand years. But um, so they, they haven't really looked Nobody's really looked that closely since 1992 in this this entire area. Um, But, you know, when we first came in and had a look at this, we we were of the understanding that it was volcanogenic massive sulphides as well. Now, we found, uh, you know, about 45 kilometres of limestone mineralised zone with high-grade grab samples at surface, and we followed that and, you know, we confirmed those those, uh, assays in our own right. Then the more we looked, the more we realised that we weren't dealing with volcanogenic massive sulphides. That's when we had our, you know, our discovery hole at uh, the Wolf Mountain uh, mine or, or deposit, if you like to call it, uh, where we, we intersected uh, distal copper gold scarn, which was a real eureka moment for, for Eric. And, and um, once we then realised what we were dealing with, we went off and pegged another 150 square kilometres of ground and we're now up to over 70 kilometres of limestone-hosted mineralised zone. And I think we, at last count we're up to about 10 copper gold scans with their own causative intrusions within the about 15-kilometre radius of each other, which is just phenomenal. So, so it's been a real benefit in a way because this uh, it shows you the disadvantages of locking something up in a sort of socialist uh, utopia. And, and we've seen examples in uh, China where... Uh, their gold mining industry, once they opened it up to new technologies and uh, involvement from other uh, sources, the you know it boomed. And the same thing in the Cooper Basin where Santos basically had the thing locked up for 40 or 50 years. And mm. when that was opened up, all of these new technologies and new ideas and interpretations led to massive 
new discoveries of uh, oil and gas in the Cooper Basin. Oh, so, 100%. you know, you're in a, in a situation now where you've, I know, I've noticed you've got some very high-grade uh, rock chip samples and thin zones there, and it's now a matter of finding out, you know, where there's commercial mineralisation. Yeah, correct. You know, we know that we're looking in the right places. Uh, you know, we've 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 re re-engineered, for want of a better word, you know, the, the geology in the area, and we've got our targets. You know, and 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 now, obviously, one of the other things that uh, I perhaps forgot to mention is that, given that we're you know, listed on the ASX as well, we've also got the ability to raise the money. So you know, we've got a significant yeah. amount of money in the bank now. You know, the Swedes just don't have that ability outside of the of the big boys to actually raise the money to do large exploration programs. So, you know, and given my link with Sweden, you know, I can speak Swedish. You know, I've got mates in there that are managing directors of the big companies. So having access to that as well as having Eric who's found six of these, you know, major discoveries in his own right within Sweden. You know, it's just you don't get these type of opportunities in your career too often. Yeah, so Alicanto has employed geochemical and scout sampling, as you've said, along with ground EM geophysical surveys. What what do you think seems to be the best drill targeting method that you've identified so far? Um, I think it's boots on the ground. By yeah. far, um, look the the geo and, and this is another reason why things are still sitting there because on the geophysical point it's a good tool but it's not the be all and end all because you know even you can go out there and you can drill the biggest brightest uh, anomaly and it comes back as a great big piece of pyrite but yeah. you know if you don't understand what that pyrite means you're going to miss a great big pyrite uh, the great big chap of pyrite ore body sitting right next to it so as yeah. an example so. You know, the, the ability to, and Eric's been out there, he's visited over 2,000 outcrops and, and old workings going back into the 1600s and 1700s at surface to, to formulate these ideas. And we've been very fortunate to, for him to be able to spend that time. But then on top of that, you know, we've, we've done some, you know, some deals in the background for basically to get hold of about $2 million worth of uh, geophysical information for nothing. Uh, we've reprocessed all of that. Uh, so we, we received that from about four or five different sources, reprocessed it all into the one location, and now we're we're overlaying that information over the top of the you know the boots on the ground geology work that Eric has done, and it's just it's just amazing to see now you know we're getting these big magnetic signatures lighting up you know which could either be causative intrusions or they, they could be all bodies themselves you know we're getting yeah. large uh, EM conductor plates sitting within the limestone mineralized zone that we can see at surface it just doesn't get any better than that from an exploration perspective yeah so as i said you've found these high grades of copper and golds at the surface and you've got the scans rock chip samples and uh, what's the plan now to test for commercial mineralization and what's the company's budget for the next two years to do that yeah so look, we, my, our plan at the moment is that we want to test each one of these targets. Um, you know, we, we're in the fortunate position of we're actually developing targets quicker than we can drill them. Yeah. Um, so we, we're looking at other methods to, to in, increase our program uh, and to get some high speed into our program. But I'll, I'll, I'll come in. I'll, I'll come into that in a later date. But um, you know, the, at the moment. We've got a 4,000-metre drilling program which will take us through to the end of December, and that's only about a $600,000 Aussie program. Um, you know, we've got $3.2, $3.3 million in the bank. So we've got money which will, even if we doubled our, our drilling program, we'll have money through to the end of next year, 
have no yeah. issues. And, and you'll be coming stage. back with some uh, results basically through to the end of this calendar year as well for uh, for your shareholders. Correct. Correct. Mm. All right, so that's a pretty interesting program, I have to say, Peter. And, of course, you've also, in the background, got some pretty exciting sort of elephant country permits in Guyana in uh, South America, And uh, although that's not uh, at the forefront of activity at the moment. No, I mean, Guyana's a fabulous place. You know, it's all part of the Guyana Shield, which is the same geology as West Africa. You know, the, we've got uh, about 300 square kilometres of uh, yeah, elephant country, as you call it out there. We've, you know, we've, there's been, I'm not sure of the, of the total amount, but over $30 million worth of drilling expenditure in the area on our tenements over the last 15, 20 years. Um, we're running a process at the moment. It's not our focus, but we hope that by the end of the year we're going to have a direction um, with regards to what it is that we're going to be doing with those projects, obviously with the price of gold as it is today, you know that these have got some serious value. Which, interestingly enough, I don't think we're getting any benefit no. from in our in our market capitalisation. So that's something to look forward to for us. Yeah, and Hopefully. you're surrounded you're surrounded by a couple of multi million ounce uh, deposits there. So it's good good hunting mm. ground for the company. So Peter, thank you very much for coming in and talking to us at. Uh, Stockhead today on the Rock Yarn and we'll look forward over the next six months uh, hopefully get you back in and we can talk to some of the results that you're going to be delivering. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for your time, Peter.